a lie and a truth about identity. The lie is something you may have said to yourself. And the truth is what God says that replaces that lie. The lie says, my life has no value since I've done so many things wrong. My life is ruined. There are people who believe they are unredeemable, that God can't possibly forgive them. But God can. If you believe God can't forgive you for something, you just don't know the right God. This morning, I want you to hear God's truth to you. You have God-given value for you've been given a new life in Jesus Christ. The truth is, you are redeemed. You are washed. You are purified. You are justified. And you are sanctified. These are your truths. Anything tells you otherwise does not love you. Even if it's your own voice. I share that with you. And I also share this, if you like that identity issue, I did make 12 copies again of the sermon notes. They're on this front pew. More than welcome to take one after service if you would like. But I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel from Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you may know that my new favorite song is a child's song, although I don't want to hear it very often. And it starts out, I'll quote it for you, the wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round. The wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round. The wheels on the bus go round and round all through the town. Why would that possibly be my new favorite song, you might ask? Because you may not know. In the last couple of weeks, I have begun driving a school bus. And the wheels do go round and round, all through the town, the country, anywhere it needs to go. But um, the reason I mention that is because I want to tell you a story about something that happened this week on the bus. I'm not... Uh, a person yet who has a regular route and too new at it, right? So they don't go, hey, new guy, let's let you have a route. They say, you get to fill in for people who don't want to be there that day. Mm-hmm. Well, on the particular day that I was assigned a route, and um, I was assigned to ride in the morning and drive the next route in the afternoon and the following morning. And so I said, okay, where is it? I went to the place, and as we're going along, they said, this first kid's a real problem. He doesn't want to get on the bus, doesn't want to stay on the bus, and once he gets off the bus, he doesn't want to go into the school. He's just a problem. And I went, what a way to start this route. And I had no idea, you know, what, what, what they were talking about, but they thought it was like a living holy terror. That's what I thought anyway. So a boy was standing there next to his mother, fighting her to get on the bus. 
And they had a monitor on preschool routes, which was what this was, to help him get on the bus. And she and his mother worked to get him up the stairs. He kind of levitated up the, <laughs> up the stairs into the very first seat because they didn't want to put him back any further. And they strapped him in through all this stuff going on, you know. And uh, he uh, finally got in and we took off. Um, just so happens, he was in the first seat on the left. I was in the first seat on the right, which is where I need to sit to learn the route. So as we began to go through the route, we ended up in the countryside out near Reedland, and I saw up ahead a flock of sheep. Now, I'm not upset about a flock of sheep. It's just during the week before, I learned a new way to do a sheep call. And there was a flock of sheep. And I called this little boy by name and said, look over there, there's some sheep. And I went, nah. <laughs> and he looked at me like, and I said, nah. And he laughed. And he goes, nah. <laughs> right back at me, right? And, and all of a sudden, he started doing that. And every couple of minutes, you'd hear him go, look at me and go, nah. And, and happy. And, and he was smiling and laughing and cutting up. And um, his bad attitude seemed to be gone for a little while. I didn't think much of it. And he finally, he fell asleep. By the time he got to school, he, they were getting ready to get him out of the seat. You know, they're all prepared. And I looked at him and I said, nah. And he started laughing again. And he got up out of the seat and walked into school. <laughs> but he was a young boy in kindergarten who couldn't speak much and he just made a lot of noises to communicate. Apparently I spoke his language. <laughs> Maybe he just needed someone to connect with him, to be with him as he was, rather than expect him to be something different. Our Scripture says that God did that. The first verse that I, passages that I read for you out of Matthew are some that were shared with us this morning during our Advent candle and also the one from Galatians 4.4 4, I share with you now. This is an important verse for us this morning. It says, But when the fullness of the time had come... Now we're talking about the perfect moment for Jesus to be born. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman and born under the law. And that was um, Galatians 4.4. 4. And what, he, what he's saying here is He wasn't early... And he wasn't late. God's timing is perfect. You understand, a lot of people need God to do something and they want it done on their time frame. Would you agree that sometimes you're a little impatient when you ask God to be an ATM machine? A prayer answerer machine? Do you get impatient? God does not get in a hurry, but He's never late. He's an on-time God, as one gospel group used to say. And the reason when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, is because God knows moments. I know a story of a man who told about a financial need that his ministry had, and he prayed about it. He said, God, I don't know what to do. We need this amount of dollars and cents, and 
I have no idea what we're going to do. And he got before the Lord, and the Lord basically whispered to his heart, leave it with me. Next day, the check came in the mail. It had written, been written the day before he asked for the exact amount in dollars and cents, which was a very arbitrary number of what he needed. It was exact. Now, I don't call exact numbers of several thousands of dollars down to the penny a coincidence. It says God is perfect in all of His ways. He doesn't go, well, I'll just... Uh, I'll just use a, an arbitrary close. God's not an arbitrary. He uses perfection. He doesn't know how to fail. And he doesn't lie. And God knows every situation you face. I remember... My wife and I got married. She was in a room. I didn't see her. I was standing there waiting. The wedding was to occur at a certain time. But I was a little anxious. I struggled with anxiety. I'm going, let's do it now. That way I know she's there. And it assured me, she's coming. She's coming. She's coming. But it wasn't time yet. The way I wanted it, let's bring her out. They said, well, the... the Bridal party isn't even out there yet. I know, but I just want to do this. Not everything's ready yet. I still want to do it. In the fullness of time, the exact moment that it's supposed to happen is when the doors open and there's the bride and the groom together. Do you understand? Jesus Christ coming was like the bride and groom getting together at the right time. If you set a wedding date for a day and a time and you move it up a day or an hour or two, your guests are going to miss the party. They won't be there. So God set it up in such a way that in the fullness of time, we would know He would be with us. He didn't do it arbitrarily. He littered the Old Testament with examples and prophecies of how, when, why, and under what circumstances this birth would take place. Hundreds and hundreds of years before. And people kept looking, well, it's never going to come. God's tarrying. And it says, when the fullness of time. It is God's time, not man's time. It's His time, not your time. To be able to accept that God knows what He's doing with you in your life requires trust. And that's not always easy to come by in a world that tries to shake and break trust. But the truth is we need somebody on our side to know that someone will stand for us. We need someone to have our back. We need to know we're not fighting our battles alone. And a lot of those battles are too big for us. They're bigger than we are. They're hard to face. And they're mountains that we just can't seem to move. Maybe you've knelt beside rubble of broken dreams and said, God, what, you, what can you do with this? I can do nothing. All my hopes are shattered. It's a very, very scary, lonely, dark place in our life when that happens. 
I was working with a client the other day. I think this is one of the reasons God wouldn't let me quit my previous job when I wanted to. And um, she began to tell me her story. And she said that uh, she had a lot of brothers and sisters and she fell on hard times and called them and they would not answer the phone. And I said, well, well, is it because you've always asked them for help and, and you just kind of wore out you know, the welcome wagon that way? And she said, no. From the day I was born, nobody in my family seemed to want me around. My parents didn't want me. My father never saw me after a certain age. And my brothers and my sisters who live in the same town as me would not come and give me a cup of sugar or even put me out if I was on fire. And I said, that's a pretty lonely place. It sounds like you had to fend for yourself. And she said, I tried, but it was very difficult in my situation. And I said, well, did anybody ever believe you? She said, nobody until the one I'm with now. And I almost got sad. Felt moved. Because her family ignored cries for legitimate need for help. And they'd done it her whole life. The only one to care for her was her boyfriend. And here's what I said. I said, I'm sorry you had to go through that. But I'm going to do everything in my power to fight for you. To get you a better life. To get you a position worth thinking about. I'm going to look at your life through new eyes that you haven't been able to look through through a long time. And see yourself as valuable. I'm going to look and see this community as a possibility, not as a dead end for you. Because you've lost that ability. And I began to outline a plan for her. And she said, well, your job is just to help me find a job, isn't it? And I said, no, looking for a job means pay me $8 an hour. Thank you for considering me. This is what I'm worth. And I said, my job is to help you be who you are and work who you are. And don't you need someone who recognizes you as an employer who sees you as valuable? That would like to give you some benefits to help your life be better so you can be a better employee. Would you rather have a job where someone wants you there? Instead of someone who can fire you and replace you in a minute. And she said, well, that would be kind of nice. And I said, why don't you dream a little with me? And let's talk about things like that. Because I already know two places in mind that I know you can do. And you don't have to worry about transportation because they're right by your house. She said, they are? And she, she said, where? And I told her and she said, I never even <coughs> considered those. Our dreams start to fade when people stop believing in us. And they fade further when we stop believing in ourselves. It takes someone to come alongside and say, I believe in you. I care about you. I'm going this journey with you. I'll stand with you. I'll stand for you. I'll fight on your behalf. I'll work for you because I see you as a person of worth and value in this world. And I don't want you to ever forget that. She teared up and thanked me for what I was doing for her. She was saying this to me as I walked out the door. I haven't had this in a long time, but the first thing I just realized, I have hope again.
Is it any wonder that the traditional Advent candle is the first one is called hope? Mm-hmm. If you don't have hope, you don't believe things can change. And the only way you can have hope is you know that there's something or someone going to come alongside you and be with you no matter what. Something with us that won't run away when times get too tough. We've all had people that did that. We've all had people abandon us, walk away, reject us, think that we weren't worth their time. God does not say that. God says, I come at the right time, in the right way, with the right answer, and I don't come to give you things. I come to be with you and guide you where places are that I know where I can get you to where you need to be. I will help you on the journey, says God. One step, one day at a time, whatever it takes, till it's done. Do you need that in your life? What is it like without it? Scary. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 7. Ahaz is asking for a sign from God. And Ahaz doesn't like the first answer he gets. He kind of argues and says, no, 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 I can't do that. And so God says this, it's on the board. Therefore the Lord Himself is going to give you a sign, because you can't make one, Ahaz. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. The sign that we all need is the presence of God. Here's the thing. In the Old Testament, we read the story of the Israelites wandering in the desert. And this morning I was thinking about that a little bit because I had put in the candle readings this morning about the presence of God in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. That His presence was with them. And I began to think about why, why was that so important? And God was saying, this was my presence. So you know I'm with you. And I, and I understood that you need to know someone's with you. A God that's real, that's alive, so you feel safer in dangerous situations. But then I began to understand the rest of the story. Or at least some more of the rest of the story. Because the Israelites came out of Egypt. The Israelites' homeland, they had not been in for four hundred years. If you leave your property and your family leaves your property for 400 years, do you think when you come back it will be your property? Do you think maybe someone would say, well, six generations have gone by or ten or however many and nobody's been there that they might claim it? Whatever that law is that says if nobody's there and it's an abandoned piece of property, then it now goes to public auction. That law. So the Israelites, listen to this. This This is amazing. They're called Israelites because they're from... Where are they really from? Egypt. They don't have a home. They, for 40 years, were nomads. Where? Where were they nomads? It wasn't in Israel. It didn't exist anymore. 
It wasn't in a homeland because they didn't have one except for Egypt. It was in territory that was not theirs. And you think, well, you know, they probably just let them have space. If you recall the number that left Egypt, it was about a million. Uh, just stay on my back 40 here, you know. If you're going to be a million people and you're going into another person's territory or another nation when you're trying to establish yourself as a nation and you don't have homeland, what is that other country going to think about you a million strong when you come into their territory? They're going to think you're going to take some of it so you can settle down. The Middle East nowadays still has that same problem thousands and thousands of years later. And so... These Israelites have this pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day of this God that leads them. And who else do you think sees it? The people who are not Israelites. And they're going... Here's an example, alright? Suppose my bottle of water is their God. Baal. Right? Put it right there. All right, Baal. That's my idol that I built. Baal, what should we do? Shall we go fight the Israelites or shall we bless them? Can you defeat their God? It just sits there and does nothing. When I look over in the Israelite camp and there's this fire of a God coming from heaven straight down and a cloud that never leaves and they're going, you need to do something about that. It just sits there. Israelites' God is moving. It's doing something. And they are afraid of the Israelites. For 40 years, God protects them from the other nations around them because God says, I want to give you their land. But they're not just going to go, oh yeah, we'll just be nomads now and you can have it all. It's not like that. It comes by taking And how can you ever move forward in life if you think that you are doing it by yourself? With no one to help, and when you run out of resources, no backup plan. Pretty tough, huh? So the Israelites needed to know that there was a God there with them, but their enemies also needed to know that. And somewhere along the way, I think they figured out that God's presence also kind of thwarted them off. When God puts a Holy Spirit seal on you and claims you with the blood of Jesus Christ, washes you white as snow, you don't look like people who belong to a different God. You're washed clean. If you ever go into a dark room, or if you ever light up, shall we say, a white light of Christmas bulbs like this, and one goes out, you know which one's different from all the rest. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. One of these things is not like the other. Can you figure it out by the time I finish this song? Another child's tune. But it has profound impact for us because when God washes you clean, you shine in His presence spiritually and in the face of darkness. And those who do not belong to God, the enemy sees as his own. And the ones that are lights with the righteousness of God shining, he sees his belonging to God. The enemy knows who you are, and he knows God's presence is with you. 
Maybe you don't know that. Or maybe you don't realize that because you're looking at yourself in a mirror and God's looking at your heart and the action of Jesus Christ in your life. So the Old Testament shows us that God's presence isn't just for you. It's for the enemy to see that God is going to stand for you when you can't stand for yourself and even when you can. In other words, the enemy says, that guy's not alone. That woman's not alone. They just think they are. I've got no turf here. I'm just going to make them think God isn't there so they won't claim me. So they won't send me packing. God is with us. But He could not be with us without creating a way for it to happen. We no longer have the pillar of fire and the cloud. He needed a way to do that. Jesus is the way. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. In all the storms of life, no matter what happens, there remains a constant that does not change. It is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our lives do not change in the face of danger if Christ is present and He says they do not change. We need someone to look at us, speak our language, and say, let me be with you and lead you. Jesus Christ came as a child to be with us, to redeem us. And His crucifixion made a way for His permanent presence in our lives. And praise God for that. Isn't that awesome? And you think whether that's important or not, I'll give you two fresh reminders. The woman I spoke to this week, for the first time in her life, has hope again. Do you understand what I'm saying? She knew me from nobody. But let me give you a little bit of the rest of that story. She's worked with other people like me doing my job before and found heartbreak and disappointment and anger and frustration. She's tried case manager after case manager and they all give up on her. They all walked away. So she learned to walk away first. But for someone to walk in and say, I'm going to be here regardless, she's never had anybody say. Have you? Do you know what that does when you hear that? When you know it's true. In the darkest points of my life, there's always someone there for me. It made all the difference between me being here still and not. That I knew someone would be there. It's a lonely world when you think there's not. So let me go back to this last week with the last example. I think you will appreciate this. The afternoon, I'm driving the bus. I look at the door where we're picking up this young boy and he's fighting with the teacher. Fighting all the way. As soon as he saw me, he started to run toward the bus. 
He climbed on board and he gave me a hug. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting him to go, don't make me ride or whatever, you know. No complaints. Just happy. They buckle him in. He looks in the overhead, the, the rear view mirror. I look up at him and he smiles and goes, <laughs> Right like that. Excited. The next day, driving the route. Mom is dragging him out of the house. And I go, hey, sheep boy. And he stops and he looks. And he runs, breaks loose of the monitor. And his mom, they thought he was going to run back to the house. He runs at a bus full speed, almost falls up the stairs. With a smile on his face. And he's going, put me in the seat. Let's go. What are we waiting on? Let's go. The whole time, he's just cutting up and laughing and smiling. And, and, and I, and I got to ask you this question. What's the difference? Someone was with him, saw him as a person, and talked to him at his level. That's what God does for us. He doesn't expect us to be something we're not, to behave a certain way, or to dress a certain way, or act a certain way. He just says, I'm with you. No matter what. Now what are you going to do with that? Now let me ask you a very, very simple question, having heard all of that. Knowing this, that Jesus Christ has come to make this true for you, God with you, regardless of circumstance or situation, or whether or not you want Him there, can you have a Merry Christmas? Can you celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ to make this a possibility? This is what we celebrate. God with us. He identified with us so we would understand that He doesn't want us polished up. He wants us broken, vulnerable, as we really are anyway. Because sin destroys us inside. To learn. To learn what? To learn that love makes a difference. That trust can be reborn. That hope is eternal. That faith does matter. And that peace, true inner peace, is actually real and possible for you too. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, sometimes we just need someone to speak. way we can understand it. Not trying to make us communicate on their lines or the way that they want us to talk, to understand, but just to say, I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. And I recognize you as someone of value and worth in a world that has taught you that that's not true. So Heavenly Father, you are with us. And I ask that in tangible ways during this Christmas celebration and this Christmas season before the new year breaks in just seven and a half short days that you would provide tangible expressions to each one of us that you are truly with us. 
Remove shadows of doubt if you can. By all means, Heavenly Father, remind us. Remind us of your ever-abiding presence and steadfast love. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the worship this morning. And thank you for each person here. And I ask this morning, Heavenly Father, that if there's someone who still doesn't quite understand what that's all about, for someone to really be with them as they are. No judgment, no expectation to just be there. To love, guide, and support. That this morning would be the morning that they find it. And that they would be able to celebrate tomorrow their first full new day, knowing that you are there. May that happen this morning for those that don't know. It is my prayer through Jesus Christ that this would happen today. Amen.